Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military, but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Therapy with someone who has a brain injury is different than someone who does not because uh, their capability to understand and internalize concepts changes. And then we have this quote-unquote death process, if you will. So we're mourning, people are mourning their old self, right? My ability to do all these things and and uh, have this certain type of job that I have or um, the warrior that I was, those things change. So they have a period of mourning that person until they are transitioning into adapting and overcoming the situation and becoming this different version of themselves, if you will, and so it's important for people to know that therapy or the approach changes as well when you have someone with a TBI versus somebody who does not. When a civilian enters any branch of the military, they go through a period of basic military training that's designed to change the way they think and act to turn them into a soldier, sailor, marine, airman, or coast guardsman. This is seen as an important time in the individual's life critical for the proper transition from being someone not in the military to part of one of the greatest fighting forces on the planet. After a period of time in the military, however, there's little done in any branch of the service to help that service member transition their mindset to life as a veteran. As we often say here in the Change Your POV podcast network, after one leaves the military, they're never going to be a civilian again. And they're no longer a service member. They're this entirely different third thing, a veteran, with all the experiences, knowledge, strengths, and challenges that go along with that word. One of the most overlooked aspects of transition is a service member's mental health and wellness. If the veteran has their heart, mind, body, and spirit in the right place, and has a support network of family and friends to rely upon, then they're most likely going to have a successful transition. Those things are not in place. Things can get challenging. I'm your host, Dwayne France, and I'm going to take you through a veteran mental health boot camp to give you some advanced training for your brain. These episodes will cover the many different aspects of veteran mental health that I, as both a combat veteran and a clinical mental health counselor, see, experience, and support veterans with daily. I'm going to be joined by both veterans and mental health professionals talking about what you need to know about the stigma against seeking support, the different areas we need to understand, and provide some resources for when you think you might need them.
Get up in the morning and out of the rack, because this is some information that could very well save your life. Welcome to Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Uh, my name is Dwayne France and I'm the creator of the podcast, a blog and an ebook designed to change the way that you think about veteran mental health. Uh, we're into our series looking at different aspects of veteran mental health. If you uh, hadn't uh, looked at our introductory episode, um, which is going to kind of give an overview from my viewpoint on this uh, conceptualization, uh, and then really to look at the discussion about PTSD with Dr. Marissa Brandt and Dr. Mary Catherine McDonald uh, that aired yesterday. And so, uh, as I'd mentioned in the first episode, you know, there are a lot of different things about veteran mental health that go beyond PTSD and TBI, but uh, TBI is still a very significant uh, challenge, a, a very critical part to, to veteran mental health. So we want to go ahead and cover that today. In order to do so, I've got a, a, a friend and a colleague um, that uh, specializes uh, more deeply, I think, in neurological uh, concerns and, and is very well versed in TBI. And, uh, and so Dr. Blair Cano uh, is a psychologist here in Colorado Springs uh, that, uh, that she does many different things, uh, but one of them is focusing on the neurological aspects of PTSD and traumatic brain injury. She's written a couple of blog articles for the Headspace and Timing blog. I'll make sure to link those in the show notes to get you some more reading. Uh, but uh, I'm glad to be able to have Dr. Cano on the show today to talk a little bit more in depth about TBI. So, uh, Blair, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you and I, we, we actually have a show that's going to be uh, airing a little later than, than this one. Um, but uh, maybe just a little brief overview again um, about your military service and sort of how you got involved in the the neurological aspect of veteran mental health. Okay. Uh, well, I am a Navy vet. I served with VF-101 out of Virginia Beach, which is a training squadron um, for F-14 fighter jet pilots. I was an AE, actually, so electronics. I did not practice psychology in the military. Um, but I was introduced to the concept of mental health and veteran mental health through family members. So my um, uncle served in Vietnam era, my grandfather in World War II, uh, and my uncle actually committed suicide. And so that kind of, when I was a child, and that kind of got me initially thinking about mental health. And then, you know, as you go through the course of your scholastic career and academia, you just kind of get funneled in this direction. And this is where I find myself. And I've been really fortunate to be working in a community that is surrounded with military and their family. And so, um, that's kind of how I got here. Yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's really interesting and, and definitely how a lot of us who are, uh, veterans who are not mental health professionals when we were in the service will then, uh, get into the, um, the profession after we leave. Uh, and it's a unique combination of the lived experience and then the training that we receive as clinicians that uh, that can be really beneficial. So you focus, like I'd mentioned, much more on the neurological aspects of veteran mental health. Um, it, it, we use our brain to to think and feel and 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 act. Um, but uh, 
but this is an area that someone's able to specialize in much more deeply um, than just sort of psychology is just not, you know, random word balloons in our brain, um, but actually the impact of brain structures on um, on veteran mental health. So that's something, like I said, that you go in much more in depth than, say, just a, a standard therapist. Right. So psychology training, you know, is behaviors uh, for the most part. And I would say that before the last 15 or 20 years, when the field of neuroscience really took off, uh, that was where a lot of focus was on behaviors based out of experiences, traumatic experiences, not necessarily identifying PTSD or TBI per se. And uh, in the last you know, 15, 20 years, neuroscience has really gotten a lot of funding from the government. And now we're able to really identify with things like MRI and PET scans and fMRI that there are structural, there is, I'm sorry, structural damage that occurs with not only PTSD, but TBI. Blood flow is interrupted. And so we can see things on a more molecular level now where that was more theory-based in the past. And now we actually have evidence to prove that. So the field of neuropsychology really looks at the different domains of the brain and what's functioning or not functioning well based on developmental issues or trauma or impact to the brain from a TBI or a concussion or something like that. Now, do you find that when you explain to veterans um, that uh, there is a neurological basis for, for why these things are happening, uh, structures in the brains are changed physically, uh, do you find that that helps them normalize, I guess, how we call it, but but make it sort of normal that these things are happening? Absolutely. It's a combination, I think, of shock and uh, relief, to be honest. is they're, they're very surprised by the information. They're surprised they haven't gotten this information sooner. And then they are relieved to say, okay, so this is normal. And my response is, well, it's normal for this situation, yes. Not everybody experiences PTSD or a TBI. So is it normal throughout all of society? Not necessarily, but for your particular situation and your experience, it's absolutely normal. And that is a huge relief to people because, you know, they feel isolated and alone and like they're the only person struggling with these issues, which further compounds these issues. Yeah, I can see that where where it's if they don't understand why, and that's how I I speak about here often, and I talk to my clients is, uh, you know, awareness is the first start, um, and becoming aware that uh, that that the brain has changed. Um, you know, we can't lift uh, lift our skull the way we lift the the hood of the car and and diagnose the problem within the engine. You know, whether it's the starter or whether it's the you know the radiator or anything like that. Um, but once, and, and that's what neuroscience has allowed us to do is sort of x-ray into the engine, so to speak, and say, hey, you know, these, this, this piece over here isn't functioning in the best way or that piece over there. Uh, and understanding that gives veterans a, a lot more confidence that, you know, hey, you know, this isn't something that I just make up. Yes, it's in my head, like literally in my brain, but it's not just, <laughs> right. yeah, it's not just something I made up. Exactly. Um, and so it's very validating for people. And hopefully now that we can better uh, identify these issues, we can create better treatments. So looking at, at TBI specifically, and, and you attended the, uh, the talk that I gave um, back in 
uh, September, I think it was, uh, talking about this conceptualization. Uh, and I often describe uh, PTSD as an injury of the behavior. It's this Pavlovian response. Uh, you know, we, we um, attach a, a particular response to a, a type of uh, stimulus and we react in a certain way. So it can be described as an injury of the behavior. That's much more simplistic than the way it actually is, and, and it's a lot more complicated, of course, but uh, just from a starting point. But traumatic brain injury is a physical injury of the brain. You know, a lot of people think that it's, uh, it's more psychological than it is physical, but that's not exactly true, is it? No, not at all, actually. There are a couple different types of TBI that you can get. So there's focal versus diffuse. And a focal injury would be something like you hit your head at one area and you get a hematoma. Um, and it's short-lived. It resolves itself in a relatively short period of time. A diffuse injury is distributed damage throughout the entire brain. So all of the axons, the communication pathways are damaged, as well as the blood flow is interrupted to the brain. So actual physiological changes occur. Yeah, so uh, the brain can be bruised. You talk about the hematoma, but the brain can actually get a bruise the way our, our arm or our hand can get a bruise. Um, but then mm -hmm. it can also have nerve damage, um, like you said, sort of all the way across uh, the same way that, that we can get nerve damage, sort of system-wide nerve damage in our arm, so to speak. Exactly. That's relatively new-ish information in the last 15 to 20 years, which is part of why um, these imaging studies are so important because it used to be thought in neuropsychology that you bumped the front of your head, let's say, and that was it, and it was localized to that area and nothing else. And now we realize, which really explains a lot of the behavioral disturbance, that the entire brain can be affected. So many different areas of functioning uh, can be impaired all at one time. Yeah, and, and I think back, and I, I know I think I've, I've told you this story, and I don't believe I've, I've told it to the audience, but uh, um, jumping out of airplanes as I, I, I did and, and uh, all of the fun stuff I used to do, of course, you know, of course we have concussions, right? You know, it's sort of the part that goes along. And, and, and even back then it was something you just kind of shook off. I, I was on a jump, um, and it was high winds, um, and, and I landed, and I landed hard, and, uh, and I sort of sat up, bell ringing in my ears, and, uh, and I looked over, and there was a guy that landed, you know, I don't know, uh, probably, you know, 50, 60 feet away from me. I sit up, and I look over to him, and he looks at me, and he was like, you all right? And I gave him the thumbs up. I put my head down, and I picked my head up, and he was sitting right next to me. And so, you know, mm -hmm. I was out for, for, I don't know, 10, 15 seconds, however long it took for him to get his stuff out and, and then run over to me. And then, yeah, you know, I'm okay and yeah, I'm good, you know, high five, run off the drop zone, throw the, uh, throw the parachute in the, the truck and, and take the truck and put it back in the, uh, the motor pool and, and do all that stuff. And I go home and I lay down on my living room floor and I fall asleep for 16 hours. Right. So that's really common with a concussion. And the difference with a military versus civilian typically is if you get a concussion playing sports or um, in a motor vehicle accident or something like that, as a civilian, you typically can take time off work. You can go to the doctor immediately. You can rest, which is something obviously that we uh, suggest. And kind of rehab that immediately where 
in the military, that's usually not an option, right? You're in training, so you have to keep training, or you're in combat and you're in survival mode. And so there's no time to kind of recoup and take a breath and reset. You just have to keep going and going and going. And so it's it's different because you are not usually allowed when you're in the military to give your brain that time it needs to kind of recoup. And so that's a big difference that I'm not sure if people are aware of, I guess. Right. And, and even in that, it was, um, uh, I, I listened, she was my girlfriend, of course, my wife at the time. Um, she had somehow gotten me up off of the living room floor and, and into, uh, into the bed. And, and I woke up Sunday afternoon having, and this was Saturday when I came home and I woke up Sunday mid morning um, you know, and she's standing over me saying, Hey, you're going to the doctor. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have gone. Uh, and right. then I went to the doctor and, and he was like, you know, Hey, congratulations, big guy, you know, welcome to the 82nd airborne division. You have a, a concussion and <laughs> it's mild. And there wasn't, and he did, and he gave me, and there wasn't anything major going on. He was like, you know, take the rest of the day off and, and here's some light duty for the next couple of days and, and then get back out into it. And so I didn't have any lasting effects to that mild concussion that I had, um, and so did not develop a traumatic brain injury. Um, and, and that's, that's really how it's explained to me, especially now as I'm, I'm, uh, you know, in, in the field and, and have talked to other people, they said, well, uh, that's not a traumatic brain injury because I didn't develop any of the symptoms because I, one, listened to my wife, um, but two, <laughs> went to the doctor, got it checked out, and uh, and then, you know, it healed, essentially. You know, like you said, that focal, that would have been a focal concussion where the, the, the back of my head or the front of my head or even both where my brain kind of slosses around in my skull, that that happened, mm-hmm. uh, and then it healed the way a bruise would heal. Um, traumatic brain injury, as I understand, really goes beyond that. And it's where, you know, it doesn't heal. Like you said, we don't have um, traumatic brain injury as a veteran uh, doesn't allow for that sort of healing process. We're in the service. Um, and so imperfectly healed traumatic brain injuries leads to a lot of the, uh, the symptoms that people think. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. And a lot of it, like you said, is because when you're in the battlefield, you usually do not have time to rest. And often you have other injuries that are co-occurring, whether it's physical injuries or multiple TBIs um, back back to back, blast injuries, things like that. And so it's kind of like you're getting hit from all sides and you don't have time to rest. The brain really can't recoup the way it would otherwise. And the brain, you know, it's like any part of our body. It does want to heal itself. But it also needs rest and nutrition and hydration, all of those same things. And if you're not able to get that, there can be lasting damage. You know, and I think that's another uh, important distinction that maybe not a lot of people might know is when we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic brain injury, of course, the common word is trauma, but it means two different things. Post-traumatic stress disorder is psychological trauma. I'm seeing things that are traumatic, one definition of trauma, whereas traumatic brain injury is, is sort of like, you know, trauma to the body. Um, a, a, you know, ruptured spleen would be considered trauma, you know, a, a compound fracture. This is, this is physical trauma. And so I don't think a lot of people mm-hmm. make that distinction between the, we're actually talking about two different types of trauma. Correct. And interestingly enough, we've actually come to find out that in PTSD, we can have physical changes in the brain as well. 
So now we have those changes on top of traumatic brain injury, and it can be really hard to differentiate the two unless you're very skilled in that area or unless you go through a thorough evaluation. The symptoms can look really similar, and sometimes they overlap with one another. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and that's the, the, there is a neurological basis for PTSD. Again, you, you wrote that very good article about, about how it physically changes the brain, the amygdala, the hippocampus, the limbic system, and, and the cingulate, all of these, and, and there are physical changes to these structures in the brain, um, and it does make it more complicated. And then you were talking about the overlap between the PTSD and, and TBI symptoms, and so I'd like to hear maybe what, what are some of the symptoms of traumatic brain injury and how they sort of overlap PTSD and maybe what's the difference? Okay, so some of the enduring changes uh, result in symptoms like executive impairment. So your planning, your processing, your time management, your ability to uh, hold several balls up in the air at one time, if you will, is impaired often, which we also see in PTSD. Um, brain damage can cause personality changes. So a lot of times people will say they went off to wars, one person came back as another. Again, you can hear that with PTSD, but there are actual changes to the prefrontal cortex that cause personality changes where people come back and they're often more angry or irritable all the time, things like that. Paying attention, uh, that can be disrupted and that's really difficult if you're trying to work raise a family, go to school, any of the things that typically veterans are doing when they come back. Uh, insomnia can be an enduring situation, so not time-limited anymore. It's kind of a permanent state. Um, and, of course, we all know that lack of sleep causes further executive impairment and inattention. Whenever any of us has had a bad night's sleep or no sleep, you know, you're just groggy and out of it for the whole next day. Uh, so when I'm talking about these things, people who are familiar with PTSD will say, well, these are all the same exact things that you can get. So this is why it's so hard to differentiate the two. Uh, and that's why testing is really important because it identifies the structures of the brain, what the structures are responsible for, and if there's impairment in that so that we can decide what we're going to do to try and rehab that. And and so and those are those are definitely like you said everything sounds like PTSD. Well, how can I figure out how can I parse it out? Um, but there are some things that are very um, that are common only to post traumatic stress disorder, like uh, flashbacks or intrusive memories, the behavioral stuff like avoidance and hypervigilance. That's a PTSD thing, and that's not really if someone, as you said, if someone had a, a traumatic brain injury from a car accident, um, or even, uh, you know, like, and we, we know about CTE and, and football players, but if it's a concussion, but there's no associated trauma, you're not going to get flashbacks, you're not going to get the avoidance and hypervigilance, right? Correct, and unfortunately, uh, veterans aren't always very good at reporting TBI. So essentially, when you're in uh, combat, you know, you get your bell rung, if you will, which is a common terminology. But you kind of feel like that's just part of the job and that's quote unquote normal for what you're doing over there. And so in our practice, it's surprising how many times you'll have someone in treatment for six to nine months before they ever say, oh, yeah, well, there was that one time when I was knocked unconscious, but that's really not a big deal. And you're thinking, oh, that's a really big deal and that's really important to know. 
Um, and they didn't find it important to say only because they're not trying to hide anything, but they don't put the proper weight on that because this unfortunately occurs quite frequently and it's just kind of considered part of the job. So you don't really think of reporting it. And so sometimes it's hard for us because we don't get that information as quickly as it would, you know, we would like to have that. Yeah, it's so, like uh, it's like treating the gunshot without checking to see if there's an exit wound, and so it'd be like you know I, that's oh it'd be very nice if I knew that you know and not to make light of it, but but the information that a, a veteran expresses to somebody that's helping them, it, the other thing is the fact that for many veterans, an incident which cause which could have caused physical trauma to the brain, so a TBI, is also psychologically traumatic which could help develop PTSD. And so a veteran can have both conditions separately from the same incident. Absolutely. And that, that occurs quite frequently. And then in this set of wars, we have a lot of structural musculoskeletal damage that we didn't necessarily have in the Vietnam era um, because the helmets and the protective gear are so much better now but as you know, these packs, you're carrying upwards of 70, 100, sometimes more pounds on your back for long periods of time. That was not something that occurred in Vietnam. And so we are seeing a lot of cervical, thoracic, and lumbar issues. So essentially your back is breaking down from all of that weight. So we have chronic pain with that. Then sometimes we have PTSD. Sometimes we have TBI. So we have so much comorbidity this time around where we didn't always have that same level of comorbidity in Vietnam. And part of it is from what I've heard from the guys who tell me is, you know, we didn't even wear our helmets half the time. So if some, if there was a bomb and then you just died, unfortunately, like people didn't come back from TBIs like they do now. So it's, I don't know even that we have more TBIs than we used to, but we have more survivors that come home with that now than we did from Vietnam. And, and that's something that, that just medically, a lot of the advances, there's, there's, uh, there's more survivability, which increases the, the, the rate of wounds, really. Um, and so right. what is wounding now um, was, uh, was definitely, I mean, even think of, uh, you know, the Civil War. Um, you know, the, the amputations, it was fatal then, whereas it's something that, you know, the, the, the golden hour and if the, the service member gets to the, the right level of treatment soon enough, then there is a greater chance of survivability. Um, cool. And so it's sort of a double-edged sword. Uh, definitely thankful that our medical um, knowledge has increased, but, uh, but now it's, there's things that we deal with today. And so, well, absolutely. Yeah, go ahead. And I, I think on that end, um, so survivability, that's, yes, the medical advances, and that's nice. On the flip side of that, however, I don't believe that America, the VA, the DOD was prepared for this level of survivability. So the services on the back end, if we have this many soldiers living now with these impairments, we have to do something about it. And I don't think that we were mentally and financially prepared for the support on the back end, if you will. And so while it is great that we have those advances, the aftercare has to catch up and we're just not there. Well, and a lot of it has to do with awareness. Um, of course, why, uh, why, why you do the writing that you do and the speaking you do. And of course the, the core mission of this podcast is to help raise that awareness. Um, and it's, it's a new conceptualization of veteran mental health that people just, they, 
they they think that you know as it's progressed throughout the years you know uh, shell shock and things like that but same thing with traumatic brain injury we used to think that it was just one thing it was my story of a concussion you get knocked out and you get your bell rung uh, and that's not the case. You mentioned the difference between focal injuries, so that bruise, you know, I hit the heel of my hand, I bruise, I hit the back of my head, my brain bruises, um, versus a diffuse injury. That's something else that we medically, I think as a medical profession or a clinical profession, weren't prepared to know. There is this totally different type of traumatic brain injury such as diffuse and you were talking about all over. Can you talk about that for a little bit and maybe how those how those injuries are different? So those injuries typically are longer lasting. The deficits are longer lasting because it's diffused and it's impacting the entire brain. It disrupts the blood flow, can break some of the vascular system. So uh, those, so it's interesting. I don't know if everybody knows this, but when we're talking mild TBI, we're not saying mild because the symptoms are mild. That's just a classification for a loss of consciousness under 30 minutes and things like that. So it's like stage one cancer, mild... stage one cancer versus exactly. stage four cancer, stage one cancer. It's not good cancer. It's still bad cancer. It's just, it's the exactly. level. Exactly. Exactly. So we're not talking mild, meaning it barely hurts you. That's not the case. That's just the classification. And so these diffuse injuries can have long lasting, a year and a half to two years, and sometimes much longer than that. Um, like I said earlier, the brain is very good at trying to heal itself. But when you have damage all over the brain in multiple areas, it's harder for the brain to do that. And then unfortunately, when people come home with these injuries, and or PTSD, they try to uh, medicate this themselves, if you will, so and avoid. And so sometimes substances are used or alcohol is used. And we all know how detrimental those are to the brain. So if you're trying to heal an uh, injured brain with substances that are toxic, you're not helping your brain at all. And I think that that makes recovery time, you know, much, much harder and much longer. Now, with with diffuse injuries, and you mentioned it a little earlier, you know, overblast pressure, and um, and so there's if if a veteran um, who uh, who is uh, say injured like me, it was a fall, it was a jump, it was a a physical thing, but uh, a veteran that is uh, is in an uh, improvised explosive device uh, event, for example, um, an explosion goes off. And the way I often explain it to veterans is if they watch, um, they watch Mythbusters, right, and they see that slow-motion camera, and sometimes they'll slow it down, and you can see sort of a wave that, that goes through that precedes the blast. And so it's actual shock waves that radiate out from the blast, and those shock waves go through our bodies, our physical bodies, but our, it goes through our brain, and mm-hmm. and and it's sort of like it's if, if you flick a glass of water and the ripples that go through the water, that's what happens to our brain, which is no bueno. It's not a good thing that you know our, our brain's not designed to do that. And so that's really, from what I understand, again, I, I study this on a very general level, where I'm a generalist, where you're much more specific. That's really a cause of a lot of the diffuse um, traumatic brain injuries. Absolutely. So essentially what happens is the blast goes off, intracranial pressure increases immediately, 
which is not something that you would normally come into contact with at any other time in life. Like there are very few situations that that would ever occur as a civilian. Um, and so this is kind of new for us as well in this set of wars. So that would be considered a primary injury that does cause axonal shearing and the axons are what are communication pathways in the brain, increases pressure, disturbs the vasculature in the brain. Then secondarily, often uh, objects will be blasted towards you as a consequence, right? So shrapnel or something like that. So that would be a secondary injury. So you're getting, you get nailed twice. And then often you are blown into a wall or something like that. And so then we had a tertiary industry, uh, injury. So three hits back to back to back. And that's not uncommon. Um, and so it is the blast injuries that we, it's newer for us in understanding and it's very concerning, I think. And, and that's, a, and so diffuse, a, a multitude of focal traumatic brain injuries can compound into diffuse injury. Is that what I'm hearing you saying? You know, so I, I get the shrapnel on one side and, and I get, you know, I, I bang the side of the MRAP or the Humvee on the other, um, as well as the pressure in my brain, you know, everybody knows, or, or you know, submariners, you know, as you're rising from the depths, you have to, to decompress really. And so a rapid change in pressure, we all have that sort of sinus headache, what that pressure, um, you know, is in our brain. But that raises rapidly and violently because of the blast. Um, and, and so it's, it's coming from the left, coming from the right, coming from outside and coming from inside. Essentially, yes. And then often is the case that this happens numerous times during one tour, right? And then people are going back for multiple tours, which is also different this time. Um, we have a higher rate of multiple tours than we've ever had. And so, I mean, if you just think about all of those hits over and over and over again, that is going to cause lasting damage in the brain. It's going to be very hard to rehabilitate fully from something like that. And, and so what kind of, um, you know, say a veteran's listen to this saying, okay, I'm hearing these two talk and okay, so maybe it might be TBI and I'm hearing some things, but, but what's, what are some of the treatments to maybe recover, uh, from traumatic brain injury or to heal? Is there, you know, and, and I know that we've talked often, but you know, PTSD is not a healing thing. It's a coping and and sort of relearning how to, um, how to live with PTSD, but is there a healing possibility for traumatic brain injury? So the brain will try to heal itself as much as possible within the first two years, and that's the biggest gain you're usually going to see. And then the lingering deficits are often um, helped with certain medications. So, for instance, when the brain is injured, there is an increase in glutamate, which is our excitatory uh, neurotransmitter in the brain, which is typically healthy unless it goes on overdrive, if you will. And then it becomes very toxic to the brain. So there are certain medications that help calm that back down, uh, and those are really important. Uh, there are specific therapies that help to rehabilitate, but we're talking rehabilitation again, not curing, just like you said. And so sometimes people have to start using other devices. We call them assistive devices. So I have to start using a planner to keep track of all the things in my day or my smartphone or uh, alarms to tell me when to take my medication because sometimes you're not going to get all of your functioning back. And so then we move into, okay, how can we best support you with all of these assistive devices 
so that you can still function well um, or at the capacity that you want to for your job or your family and things like that. And and so and that's something that's important. It's not a um, it's not a debilitating. Um, you know, you're never going to function. Um, if you believe that, if, if many people believe that that's the case, then of course that's going to be the case for them. Uh, but I recall growing up, my stepfather had lost his arm, his left arm uh, at the elbow at a young age. Um, but it, it wasn't a disability for him because he learned how to um, do many things. He was a skilled uh, craftsman, a skilled uh, mechanic, and, and, and did a lot of very skillful things. Um, you know, he, it wasn't a disability for him. He didn't see it as one. He learned how to function in his environment, um, because, you know, without his left hand, basically, or literally. Um, and, and the same thing can be done for veterans who, who have experienced traumatic brain injury. You're no longer going to be performing at the level of function that you did before, but that doesn't mean that life is a death sentence. Absolutely not. And so therapy with someone who has a brain injury is different than someone who does not because uh, their capability to understand and internalize concepts changes. And then we have this quote-unquote death process, if you will. So we're mourning, people are mourning their old self, right? My ability to do all these things and and uh, have this certain type of job that I have or um, the warrior that I was, those things change. So they have a period of mourning that person until they are transitioning into adapting and overcoming the situation and becoming this different version of themselves, if you will. And so it's important for people to know that therapy or the approach changes as well when you have someone with a TBI versus somebody who does not. And, and you bring up a great point there, Blair, with how complicated it is uh, because... Um, even though, and, and I'm talking, we're talking specifically here about traumatic brain injury, but it ties into other aspects of veteran mental health uh, that we're going to be talking about. That that redefining self, that's purpose and meaning. Uh, I'm going to be talking to a, a former Marine and, and current uh, psychologist, Aaron Smith, about purpose and meaning and that aspect of veteran mental health. Um, which can be brought into when we're talking about PTSD or TBI. Uh, I, I hope to have Dr. Kidd, uh, Dr. Stephen Kidd on the show to talk about substance abuse separately, but you even mentioned that that's something that's intertwined with traumatic brain injury. And so even though this is a separate aspect of veteran mental health, it's, it really is also interconnected. Uh, and you talked earlier about comorbidity, we, we call that is is multiple conditions that are separate and distinct, but exist within the same individual. Uh, and so I, I, I appreciate how you did that, it look, saying that that's a different thing, um, but it still plays into TBI. And it's important for clinicians to realize that. Absolutely. And if you're someone who is not skilled in that, you can become skilled in that. There are many published books now about doing psychotherapy with patients with TBI. Because when you have uh, deficits in the brain, sometimes you are not able to receive information the same. Sometimes you perseverate. And so a therapist who wasn't trained in that, for instance, might be working with you and think, this person is just behaving very difficultly uh, on purpose, right? They're kind of being a pill. They're being stubborn. They're not making changes. Well, if your brain has been disturbed, it's actually really hard for you to do those things. The motivation is different. And so you have to have a lot more patience and you have to attack it from a different angle. 
Uh, and there are many resources out there to train people on how to do that. So, uh, but you're right. We're dealing with numerous issues at one time, almost all the time with veterans. And I liken it to um, clinicians, especially when we're, when we're working with veterans. You've said it several times uh, throughout here um, in that this is a unique difference that veterans experience. Someone can be a neurologist uh, and work with those who haven't served in the military and not see uh, diffuse traumatic brain injury. Uh, that they wouldn't see, um, a, you know, a lack of purpose and meaning and, and I'm no longer allowed to be who I was. And uh, they won't see, you know, all of these different aspects that this is a unique aspect of, of veteran mental health. Um, and so clinicians who want to work with veteran mental health, we call it cultural competence, but really we need to be a, a generalist, so sort of like a primary care f- physician can have a little bit of knowledge amongst all different ailments. And then when we identify what the primary concern is, honestly, as, as I've done with you, I'm working with a veteran and I say, you know what, there's something more. I'd like you to go see Dr. Kano to, to see if there's something neurological here. And so yeah. I would refer to a specialist in that particular area in veteran mental health, much like I'm a, uh, if I'm a general medicine and then I refer you to a podiatrist or an oncologist or things like that, that clinicians can be generalists and then get really deep training in one area. Correct. And I think the biggest reason for that is we all have had clients in practice that are uh, difficult or have a harder time with change. And my personal opinion is nine times out of 10, there's something else going on that isn't allowing for that change. I think most people, when they come to therapy, want change and are willing to do a fair amount of work to make that happen. But there are occasional clients that are just stubborn. That is true. But more often, I think there's something else. That's what I think in my mind. What else is going on with this person that is not allowing them to make the changes that they want to make? And and then for you, you know, for example, um, you're, you're not a, uh, a marriage and family therapist. Um, I'm not a, a marriage and family therapist. And so uh, I can work with a veteran individually. Uh, but our colleague, Josh Kramer, who uh, he's going to be on talking about family systems and veteran mental health. Um, Josh is who I would say, hey, you and your family, how the family has it has to um, readjust to this new reality of traumatic brain injury. Um, go go talk to this specialist. Go talk to that specialist. And, uh, and, and I like how you say that is, OK, what else is there? And then there's an evaluation on the part of the clinician to say, there's an ethical requirement to say, am I qualified to address whatever this additional info or additional challenge is? Absolutely. And it's okay if you're not, right? I mean, all of us have our own little specialty area. And so if you're not, that's fine. But you do have to identify that. And then you have to find someone else for that client, either to refer out completely or to work together with. And the family systems piece is really important because if someone fundamentally changes or don't can't uh, perform in the same way they used to, that does impact the entire family unit. And so the unit has to change and has to adapt as well. So family therapy is vitally important for veterans to heal because as we all know, when there's conflict in our home environment, that kind of bleeds into everything else in our life. And so that's a really, really important part to address. And a lot of this is education for the family members. 
um, you know, uh, my my mother um, and my sisters uh, love them very much, and, and they're familiar with my experiences, um, you know, as a family member could be, um, but but not as familiar as my wife, for example. And so, you know, the the difference differences between, or maybe even what traumatic brain injury is, or, or the difference between TBI and PTSD. Um, those that are even close to the veteran, they really don't understand. So it's important for family members to understand and come to an awareness of veteran mental health, PTSD, TBI, and beyond. Well, absolutely, because, you know, when you asked me earlier in the session, our clients, you know, what is their reaction when we educate them? Well, if the veterans haven't been educated, you can be very sure that the family hasn't been educated at all. And the community at large has very little education in this area. Um, interestingly, yesterday I had an experience. I went to a dentist, and he asked me what I did for a living, and I said I'm a neuropsychologist. And uh, his assistant said to me, did, you, so, did your husband serve in the military? And I said, well, we both served, actually, the Army and Navy. And uh, she said, oh, well, how was that? And I said, well, it was what it was, you know. And so the doctor says, so do you get those guys with that PTS? And I said, <laughs> I get men and women with PTSD, yes. And it just struck me because, you know, I don't know if your viewers know, but we're surrounded with military bases. This is a very, very uh, heavily militarized community with uh, active duty, retirees, veterans, family members. And so I was shocked. Maybe I shouldn't have been, but that comment, I just thought, wow, okay, you're surrounded with military. I'm sure you take military, and yet you're very unfamiliar with this. So I just think the uh, the community as a whole is not well-educated. Well, and, and again, this is the idea of, and, and as you and I have talked uh, at length and quite often about the fact that even, um, you know, uh, the, the mental health professionals who are not familiar with working with veterans aren't uh, all that um, familiar with this either. Uh, but when you were talking about um, spouses being educated, there's been a couple of times where I've I've kind of gone through, you've been in my office, I have my little demonstration of the skull and the brain, and I go through my discussion of the, uh, you know, the lower parts of the brain, the mammalian brain, ver the reptilian brain versus the mammalian brain, and, and I kind of go through that. Uh, and then uh, the veteran will be like, hey, can I bring my wife back in here? Can you do all of that again? Yeah. Number one, because I'm not going to remember what you just said, but number two, right. you know, and, and so and, and then when the spouse come back, comes back in um, and say, well, you got to be kidding me. I, I didn't realize it. And so it's very important. And, and we can do that sort of one on one. But how do we do that on a wider scale? And then uh, community education again. Uh, the effort, the focus of this podcast is really to kind of uh, raise the bar. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm in this place where I'm starting to realize that everyone is involved or, or is in, invested in their solution, what the solution is. And so my solution to the question of veteran mental health is to provide therapy. But what actually is the yeah. question of veteran mental health? No, we don't, we don't define that. And, and one of the problems I'm starting to see is that the community is not aware of the importance of veteran mental health on post-military life. The, the, the awareness is not there, and that's where you and I and, and others that we're trying to network with 
is to try to say, hey, let us mental health professionals talk to you about this. And that way you can learn and you can understand. I absolutely agree. I think the biggest issue with veteran mental health is a lack of psychoeducation about the physical demand, the cultural demand, uh, TBI, TTSD, all of these things. And I believe that people like ourselves and professionals in the field who are educated in this area are ethically bound to help educate the community. That's just a personal opinion that I have. Um, and it's, it's, all the time I see this, when I talk about this in the community, there's so many heads nodding and people coming up to me afterwards saying, oh my gosh, you just described so-and-so. And I had no idea all of these years that this was happening. And I also believe the community has a misperception of veterans often. Um, you know, they, they're they fearful often of veterans and think, well, they're hotheads or they could kill me at any time or things like this. And you know, that's very far from the truth. And unfortunately, it's because they don't have the education about the culture and about all of these issues that lead to the misperceptions. Yes, absolutely. I, I agree. And, and although, you know, not specifically with traumatic brain injury, but someone will assume, okay, if you're traumatic brain injury, uh, almost that that means you're brain damaged. And brain damaged means uh, deficient, and deficient means you don't have control. And so if you're a killing machine who is brain damaged, you could short circuit and kill me at any time. Unfortunately, yes, that is exactly what people think. Right, and, and that's not true. Everybody says, thank you, you know, we, we love veterans, thank you for your service. I will support veterans in any way I can, unless I'm standing in front of one at the checkout line or I'm sitting next to them at work. I mean, and so there is this... Right. That's the the, All the divide. from far, essentially. Yes, um, and and mm -hmm. then and of course, you know, um, you know, a, a veteran doesn't like being treated like a jerk. And if somebody treats me like a jerk, then I'm going to start acting like a jerk. And somebody say, Ah, I knew you were a jerk, <laughs> right? And so perception starts to build reality, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And in the same way, if veterans who say, for example, have traumatic brain injury, if they're treated like victims or if they're treated like wounded birds or they're treated like children some are going to to take advantage of that and buy into that and start acting in that way and say yeah you know what i, I am a victim oh you're, you're going to give me a service animal and, and i'm not i'm not knocking the service animals at all but you're going to give me a free trip to the mountains. You're going to give me, um, you know, a free trip to the ball game. You're going to give me a car. You're going to give me a job where I really don't have to work that very hard. And, and, and it's really kind of easy for me to ease into this life because I have this brain injury. Yes, and I think that uh, one of the really important aspects of psychotherapy with the brain injured person is challenging them on that level and saying, okay, so this did happen to you. Um, it's a crap deal, but what are we going to do about it now? How are you going to move forward? How are you going to adapt and overcome? And, and what are you going to do next? Um, and so a good therapist who has a good alliance will be able to challenge someone and say, you know, this, this is a bad deal. I agree with you. There are deficits, but we can work around it and let's figure it out and let's do that so that you can still have a fulfilling life. And there will always be people in society that fall into that victimhood. I mean, that's going to be true across the board, but uh, I think that we really as therapists have to challenge that notion because veterans are not victims at all. And, and I like how you said that to, to uh, adapt. I mean, of course, that's what we did in the military, adapt to your new environment. You got to a new duty station. 
Um, you know, unfortunately, I say unfortunately, and many people say unfortunately, I was, I was stationed at Fort Polk for a period of time. Uh, Any time that I was stationed at Fort Polk, Louisiana was not the best, right? But I had to adapt. I had to, you know, uh, adapt to whatever that situation was. Whereas some people and some of the veterans that I work with are told you have to accept your limitations. You have to accept that um, not, they're not told this by me, but they've been told this by other people that you might as well just accept the fact that you're not going to be that way anymore. You're not going to do that. And a lot of veterans push back against that because they, that's that's not what I'm used to doing, just a sec, accepting a lower um, uh, status or a lower functioning. But I like how you said adapt instead of accept. No, I think you can adapt to anything, and I believe human beings as a whole are very, very resilient, and we have research to prove that now. So there is no reason that people can't find a great degree of recovery, um, but they need help. They need help from someone who is there to support them, who has knowledge, but will also challenge some of those other beliefs. And often that is not, um, how should I say this, that's not what we received from a family member or a spouse. So it's better to have a third party like a therapist to do that with. That, and I think that's a very good point is that, you know, we can hear different things from different people, but someone that we're uh, emotionally involved with, um, we're, we're not going to hear it as readily. There's a reason why uh, I, as a clinician, was not my father's therapist because there's too much there, right? You know, a Vietnam vet and all that. And, uh, and there's a reason why, you know, I can't, you know, none of this, you know, we don't, we uh, and, uh, and and Dr. Williams, a, a local VA official here, uh, she had said that uh, her her son, I believe, is a veteran, and she said, "But, but I'm not a psychologist to him. My mom brain takes over, and I and I I can't be his psychologist. I I have to be his mom because that's what I am. And so, it's important to remember both for the veteran to say, I I need to hear this from someone other than somebody I'm emotionally attached to." And then that family member or that, that friend or, or buddy, battle buddy, whoever, also has to understand that it's not me who gets the message. It's not important that I give the message. It's that they receive this message. Absolutely. And until that happens, change won't occur. No, I, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, awareness is only as, as good as the action that comes behind it uh, before change occurs. Well, I, I really appreciate uh, taking the time, Blair. This is this has been great. I, I think it's, and 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 we could talk about traumatic brain injury and um, and there, like you said, there's a lot more research uh, behind it. Uh, but we're going to make sure that um, your blog posts are, are in the show notes. And uh, and if anybody wanted to learn more about traumatic brain injury, we didn't even get into the work, the neurofeedback work that you do, and the different interventions that can be done. How would someone get a hold of you to learn more about what you know about traumatic brain injury? Uh, people can email me uh, at my, well, I actually go to my website, which is Kano, C-A-N-O, neuro, N-E-U-R-O dot com. So you can get a hold of me that way. I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, they can send me a message. So I'm always happy to talk about this. And I did write that article to accompany this post. So that gives us a little bit more information and there's a lot of research. I would really encourage people to research this on their own as well. Yeah. I think that's a big thing is uh, the more knowledge that veterans have about the different aspects of mental health, um, they can advocate for themselves. 
the more knowledge that the family members have, um, they can advocate for their service member. Uh, and then more knowledge that the mental health community has or those that support veterans have, um, that they can support them that much better. So definitely make sure that all that is in there. Thank you again. You bet. Thank you so much. So there you have it, folks. A great episode with Dr. Blair Kano talking about traumatic brain injury. You can find the show notes on this show and many of the things we talked about either changerpov.com or veteranmentalhealth.com. Looking for episode HST029. This is the fifth episode of Veteran Mental Health Boot Camp, a series brought to you by the Change Your POV Podcast Network and the Headspace and Timing Podcast. If you're a veteran or service member, the family member of one, or support veterans in any way, then this series is designed to help you understand more about veteran mental health. just now getting into the series, go back and check out episode HST025, where we introduce the concept of looking beyond PTSD and TBI in regards to veteran mental health. Make sure you subscribe to the Change Your POV Podcast Network on your podcast player of choice and sign up for updates at changerpov.com and veteranmentalhealth.com. We would love to hear your feedback regarding this series and all of the shows in the Change Your POV Podcast Network. You can do so by visiting our Facebook group, leaving a comment, or review on Remember, veteran mental health and wellness is the basis of a successful post-military life and one that all who answered our nation's call to serve deserves. Remember, brothers and sisters, you're not alone, ever. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.